93.3 FM. Ken Miller. Trent Condon. Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome in. Miller and Condon on a Tuesday. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. 106.3 on the FM dial is uh, back to local programming for the next couple of hours. And we appreciate you spending some of your morning here with myself and uh, Trent Condon, who will join us toward the bottom of the hour thereabouts. He's uh, busy with uh, girls' high school basketball uh, responsibilities here for the at least the beginning of the show, but promises to be in here by 10.30, quarter to 11. Uh, so we look forward to catching up with Trent. And we'll probably... You know, it was, it's been about 24 hours now, but it's a big story, a big local story, and local moves the needle. Uh, the uh, Southeast Polk Centennial game from yesterday that I have a feeling will be talked about for a long, long time. Uh, and I don't want to beat a dead horse. Everybody saw it. Everybody saw the egregious miss. Uh, but I just wonder if it's still a topic down at Wells Fargo Arena this morning. And we will... Uh, catch up with Trent when he gets in pursuant to that. Uh, so here's the guest list here today. Yesterday, John Walters or the uh, Iowa State, one of the um, the Twitter accounts uh, from uh, from Iowa State, uh, tweeted the fact that Gary Wade, who is the voice of Hilton, is um, and has been <laughs> remarkably for 22 years. Folks, that's 1979. Where were you in 1979? Gary Wade was sitting courtside at Hilton. Uh, think of the games that he's, the players, the coaches, the moments that have unfolded in, in front of him. I mean, he had a front row seat for Iowa State men's basketball history, and it ends tonight. Uh, so Gary Wade is going to join me here in about oh five minutes or thereabouts. We'll reminisce a little bit as to what it was like. I want to know how he got the gig. I mean, you know, there's no internet back in 1979. How do you find that that job is open? What led him to apply for it and successfully get it and keep it as long as he did? Uh, so Gary Wade's going to join me. Now, I worked with Gary, just you know, full disclosure. Uh, Gary worked in the television department for a long He may still, I'm not sure, uh, at Prairie Meadows. Uh, when I worked out there, so I got to know Gary uh, and the rest of the TV crew through uh, through the time that I spent there. He's a good guy, uh, and just a remarkable, remarkable run uh, that will come to an end tonight. And we'll talk to Gary about that here uh, in about oh, five minutes, as we mentioned. And then Adam Emenecker is going to join me. The Valley Tournament starts well, Thursday, with, with a couple of games, and the uh, bracket has been out. Drake will play for the first time on Friday night at 5 o'clock, and they may see uh, in-state rival UNI. The UNI and Illinois State, Thursday night the tournament begins. There are two games uh, on Thursday evening, the 8-9 game and the 7-10 game. UNI is the seven seed, so they will uh, play Illinois State. for the, the winner of that game will take on Drake on Friday at 5 o'clock. Adam M. Menecker will be there. Kevin Lehman is going to be the analyst uh, in the games that uh, Adam doesn't work. But look forward to catching up with Adam Menecker, what he expects from this Drake team. Uh, did he see what uh, I thought a lot of people had the same opinion watching Drake on, on, on Saturday? 
that the gas tank was just empty. Uh, not being able to beat Bradley after beating them on Friday night, came back and couldn't get it done. And what does that mean pursuant to uh, Drake's NCAA uh, tournament hopes? Well, I'm glad you asked because we've got a pretty good guest coming up at 1045 uh, to ask that question. Uh, and we will... Um, Asked that very question to Shelby Mast, who is Gannett's bracketologist. He is uh, the Des Moines Register's bracketologist, and he will join me at uh, 1045 uh, to go over his latest bracket. Bracketwag.com. Bracketwag.com uh, is where you can see his bracket. He updates it each and every day, and he'll join me today. Our Trent will be here by then, so he'll join us at 1045. And then at 11.05, a longtime uh, voice on our program is going to make his return as he's gotten back into the uh, business of covering the Iowa Hawkeyes. And that's Mark Morehouse, who, along with our friend John Miller, have launched a joint endeavor at HawkeyePodcast.com. There's going to be uh, some lo- some uh, long-form writing in there, uh, some recaps. I-, I guess I don't know exactly uh, what they plan on doing, uh, but we'll ask Mark Morehouse. Ask him if he missed th- being gone for the year. He must have. He's back uh, after a year being off. Uh, so Mark will join us here at 11.05. And I'm assuming, if you're an NHL fan, as Mark is, as I am, a couple of questions about his Blackhawks who are having a pretty good year uh, so far. So we'll catch up with Mark. And then Zubin Mahanti in his regular spot. Every Tuesday at 11.25, we go around the world of sports uh, with Zubin. And he'll join us at 11.25. We will save some time because we forgot yesterday. Trent's been so hot with his plays of the day. Uh, just before we sign off, uh, we'll save a couple of minutes to uh, to talk a little bit about that. What a remarkable day it uh, promises to be in college basketball. I'm not sure if you have uh, seen the schedule that's going to unfold here tonight. If you like college hoops and if you like the two conferences that really move the needle uh, in the state of Iowa, you're going to love tonight because I think the best two teams in the Big 12 – uh, make me make the case that Kansas might be elbowing their way into that conversation. But Baylor and West Virginia. Baylor, who's uh, reeling? I don't think that's uh, crazy to say. Baylor comes out there after their COVID shutdown, the long COVID shutdown. Iowa State almost beats them. Uh, then they played on Saturday. And Lawrence, you're thinking, at least I was thinking, well, you know what? They had that tightener. They got the rust off. They said they didn't have any rust, but, you know, it looked like against Iowa State that maybe, uh, that the, that the team was, you know, fooling themselves a little bit. Uh, give Iowa State some credit, though. But uh, Baylor just was taken to the woodshed by Kansas. And don't look now. As difficult a place to play uh, if you follow the Big 12 is Morgantown, West Virginia. Uh, Huggins teams are always ready to play. And three versus six, Baylor, West Virginia. And how about the tip time? Not ideal for everybody. I get that. Is for me. Four o'clock this afternoon on ESPN. Now, if that's not enough, and you're a fan of the Big 10, how about Illinois versus Michigan? Number one in the conference versus number two in the conference. Illinois on the road at Michigan. This is a huge test for both of these schools. Uh, no word yet on DeSomo, who I believe will... Look, he's missed the last two games. Uh, he took a shot in the face against Nebraska. How about Nebraska, by the way, last night? Just taking it to Rutgers. Wow, what a performance out of them. Uh, but Illinois-Michigan tonight. Now, this game is... Essentially, it doesn't mean anything to as far as Iowa is concerned. Iowa's locked at the three at best. Michigan's going to win the conference. Illinois has a two-game lead on Iowa, plus the tiebreaker. So even if Illinois lost out and Iowa wins out 
and they'll be favored to do so in both of the remaining games, Nebraska on Thursday and Wisconsin on Sunday. It's not going to matter because they can only get uh, on the same level win-wise uh, as Illinois, and Illinois has the head-to-head tiebreaker, but a big game nonetheless. Now, a game that may matter uh, comes up later on uh, in the Big Ten, Wisconsin and Purdue. That's an 8 o'clock tip. And I guess you got to root for, well, I don't know. Um, Iowa has the head-to-head against Purdue. Yeah, we'll just let it play out. We'll figure out what that means uh, coming up. But it's a big game, and it's a big day in, in college basketball nonetheless. Of course, Iowa State will play their final home game tonight. They will take on a, a Texas team um, that right now is Texas. I think they avoid. They do. I saw the Big Ten bracket. Uh, it was put up, or the Big 12 bracket, rather, was put up uh, in the midst of the Oklahoma Oklahoma State game last night. What a game again that was. Boy, it was a good game. This has been back-to-back nights now. Bedlam has been incredibly entertaining. And Cunningham, by his standards, did not have his best game. I mean, he, I air quote, only uh, had, what, 15 points in the basketball game. I think he's the best player in the conference. I know Butler will probably win the award. Uh, but Cunningham, what he is doing and, and how he is helping out that Oklahoma State Cowboys team. Uh, Boone, both of the Boones were uh, very instrumental last night in what they did. Uh, so a terrific effort uh, last night out of Oklahoma State uh, and Oklahoma. But the Big 12 overall, I mean, I know we're focusing, a lot of us are focusing on the Big 10 bracket. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that Iowa State you know, is going to be the 10 seed. Uh, but Texas Tech, who will play Iowa State in all likelihood, if they win, they get the winner. Uh, they'll get uh, they'll get West Virginia in in the uh, second uh, on the second night of the tournament. So yes, Indianapolis in the Big Ten tournament is going to be great, uh, but uh, so is um, so is the Big Twelve tournament. Um, with the with the way that it sets up and the way that it's unfolding. All right, we're working on Gary Wade. Hopefully, we'll get a hold of him. Uh, he'll come in here, reminisce a little bit as to um, you know his career again. Nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty. This is where were you in nineteen seventy nine? I think I was out of high school for I don't know two years, <laughs> two years in the in nineteen seventy nine. Um, that's a long time. Six hundred and fifty something games he has seen over his career. Think of the players. He watched Fred Hoiberg, the player, graduate, go to the NBA, and then come back as a coach. He saw the Tim Floyd era, the Johnny Orr era. Um, again, Grayer and Hornacek. And then the, you get to the here and now with the uh, with the George Niang and the Morris and the Matt Thomas and the Marcus Pfizer and Jamal Tinsley and Curtis Stinson and those names. And I don't know if you can quantify what Hilton Magic is, but he's part of it, isn't he? I mean, when you've got the the voice of the building stirring up the crowd, amplifying what they're witnessing with the way he's enunciating the names after a big basket, those type of things, uh, it's pretty remarkable. And I, and I think that part and parcel... Uh, Gary Wade uh, is behind that. All right, so let's get to him. Uh, it's a remarkable run. It is an incredible 650 games, 42 years, and he joins me. Gary, uh, just reminiscing a little bit what about uh, what it must be like for you as uh, you get set to do this for the final time. Great to catch up with you. How you been, Gary Wade? 
I've been good, Ken. How you been? I'm doing well. I told folks about our relationship, how we crossed paths over the years at Prairie Meadows, and I knew you'd done the uh, the uh, the PA at, at Hilton for a long time. Gary, I had no idea. It goes back into the 70s. That's remarkable. How did it start? Um, I I was a I was a at Iowa University of Iowa. I grew up in Cedar Rapids and. We won championships in three football years, and one basketball year we beat Ames High, and I just had sports, and a bunch of my people went down to the University of Iowa as freshmen, and uh, through that I met people, I made friends, and I I won a scholarship to Channel 2 in Cedar Rapids, and I started working for them, uh, went on and got my BA and MA at Iowa, and uh, at the point at that point, at the end of it, I finished my master's and I had to get a job and my first job was Iowa State. And I, I had never even been to Iowa State. I mean, I didn't know the school or anything like that. And at the end of the week, uh, I, I was an Iowa State fan. The people are just different hmm. in Iowa City. And uh, did a lot of that. And But when I was in Iowa City, the night before basketball and football games, the coaching staffs would go out together and have steaks and, and a couple of drinks and stuff like that. I became really good friends with Johnny Orr. Mm. And we did a lot of things together. And uh, he came to advise Max Shurik and people on a new coach at Iowa State. And their aim right away, Max Shurik and, and uh, Bob Markham and Dave Cox had told me, you help us get Johnny. And I told them, I said, well, there's one thing that you can really – do and I and they said what's that and I said he has to buy his own office furniture and he just hates that so they went over to Boone and they talked to the people at Boone that's one of the things that Johnny and of course then Lou McCullough went and talked to Johnny too and gave him a really nice raise and Johnny called me up we went out and had a couple of drinks and just talked a little bit and uh, he said man I'm coming but you got to do my PA he said, I went to that game the other night, and he said, they were dead. you got to get them off their feet and running. He says, we won't play much defense, but we're going to score a lot of points, and we're going to have some fun guys, but I want you on my PA. So that's how the PA started wow. for me. That's absolutely remarkable. So take us back to that time. I was, um, I wasn't here for the for most of it. Um, what was the or era like at Iowa State? Is can you compare what you know when when he's got things rolling in Ames to what it was like during when Hoiberg was rolling in Ames? I mean, did the Coliseum? Yeah, the faces changed over the years as far as the fans in in the stands are in the seats. But was it are the eras comparable, Gary? Well, they're very comparable because they both wanted the same type of players. Uh, Johnny, Ronnie Harris was the first one he signed. Um, that's, uh, oh, what's his name from Ames? Barson. That's Harrison Barnes' dad. Mm-hmm. And Ronnie Harris was the first one that, that he signed. And he was up and down, and he was fast, and he was quick, and he was about 6'5", and he could jump with the six foot ten people and stuff like that. And then the second year, I think he brought LaFester Rhodes in, who, you know, LaFester (laughs) ate breakfast shooting baskets with his left hand and stuff like that. Never played a bit of defense, uh, but went on. And at one time, Hercule Ivey was in there, too. And Hercule Ivey is the best all-time shooter I have ever seen. Mm. He came across midcourt. That ball was going up, one foot across midcourt. 
and his ball always nestled into the net. It just kind of dropped in there and hung. Of course, he never played defense at all. Uh, and then when the three-point play started, we started hitting threes, and that's what all those guys did and stuff like that. So we'd outscore a lot of people, 91 to 88, stuff like that. Fred's were a little more cerebral. He'd have the, the really good athletes that could run and, and had the statistics and a lot stuff like that. He did a lot of recruiting by numbers and things like that. And uh, had the same sort of athletes, but a little more structured and played a little bit of defense. And uh, I, I really like Fred. i got to be honest with you. This stuff kicked off yesterday morning on the net, on the network. And the first email I had yesterday morning wow. was from Fred Hoiberg. Wow. And he said, you and Johnny Orr started the Hilton Magic. Yeah. And he said, I just dreamed as a kid in middle school of you announcing my name. <laughs> so pretty good day for me yesterday. Yeah, I bet it was. And, that, and, of course, he had a game that night, so he took time out of his day to actually reach out to you. That's a, that says a lot about Fred Hoiberg. So, Gary, I want to ask you about a couple of players because – you know, from my time doing this, I, I've never seen a player like Royce White. He's as, you know, they, everybody comes up every now and then when we're, you know, you're killing time, you're killing segments during the summer month. You come up with the, you know, the all-time draft anybody from the from from this century. So, uh, if, for instance, Royce White to me was just a a different kind of player. He could do so many things. He'd be a point guard. He could be a five. Uh, he was such a difficult matchup. Is he one of those guys that when you think back on it, not saying he was the best player you've ever seen, but maybe the most unique player you've ever seen? Yeah, he's one of those guys that are that are like that. He, he, uh, uh, he didn't like to practice. Um, he didn't like to run structured plays and stuff like that. He he was just kind of a freestylist all the way around. But like you said, he had all those skills. He could shoot from three. He could out-dribble you. He could go around you. He could go over you. Uh, and he played defense, too. Uh, and a lot of the players back in that time did stuff like that. But even today in his world and stuff like that, you know, he, he marches to his own drummer. Mm-hmm. And does things his way, and good for him, you know. If if you can get away with that, and if you can do that, be happy. And I'm pretty sure he's happy. He's doing a lot of the testing, you know, for those uh, mental illness things that he works on and stuff like that. But yeah, very unique guy. Do you can you pinpoint Gary what you thought? I mean, this got to be difficult. There's 650 games for crying out loud. When did when? What's the loudest you've ever heard Hilton Coliseum? <sighs> Johnny's Johnny's third year when they first made it into the tournament and that um we had the old floor back then and the old floor a lot of people didn't realize that the old floor they also played ice hockey in there so the old floor had ice under it and uh when i do a double header when we had tournaments and stuff my legs would be pure blue when <laughs> i went home that night but because of that the floor bounced a little bit and when we got magic uh the hilt magic going and the band was going, and the cheerleaders were going, and the palms were going, and the coaches were going, and the players were going, and and I was going off and said the rafters just lit, and that floor literally jumped two or three inches, and it just bounced, and and the the sounds just reverberated all through there, and I, I think during Johnny's second third years is when we had that team, and they they brought a new floor in a couple of years after that, and it didn't have the same sound effects. 
so I cut that down. But boy, that's when it just I my ears would ring for two hours after mm. the ball game. It would just it was that good. Is um is Kansas the the team that when they're when they're at Hilton, is that the team that you know that you the school that you think's got a chance to bring out the best in that building? I mean, I get it. They're they're not always great games, and I'm assuming when they when it's a Cyhawk when the game is in Ames on a particular year, that gets going pretty good. But I have to think that Kansas might bring out the best in that building. You know, that, that really surprised me. You're right, because when I came from Iowa City, I figured the Iowa one would be the automatic one. And like you said, there are games and there are situations and there are years when it absolutely is a dog-eat-dog and a duel to the very finish, and the last team with the ball usually wins. But Kansas is the one that they always mark a week out, and they put a target on that, and the coaches coach to it. They might even skip the game in between if there's one in between. <laughs> And just work on the Kansas game because it just means so much. I mean, Kansas has so dominated that league over all these years. It's evening out a little bit more right now. But so much so that, yeah, I think they really pinpointed and really went after that one. Tried to do the matchups as best they could. And had a good chance and had a better record than most down in uh, Kansas also. Mm, for sure. Gary Wade, long time, a voice of Hilton Coliseum, 42 years. Uh, the curtain comes down tonight. So I learned yesterday, Gary, through Dave Sproul, <laughs> and then I, uh, I I saw the piece that, uh, the, that the athletic department put up, the four or five minute, whatever it is, piece just reminiscing a little about you, that you like to walk around the Coliseum. You get there in time, you, you know, just get your head together, just kind of soak up the atmosphere type of thing, and you'll take that walk, I'm assuming tonight, like you've done 650 times in your career. What um, what will you be thinking about tonight? You know, I'll, I'll be thinking about this is the end. I'll be thinking about how great the last two days have been. They had, they had over 10,000 hits yesterday on that Cyclone uh, network, the piece that was on there. And my wife has put it on, my daughter's put it on, so many people have, have put it on that unbelievable friends and people and former students and and like I said, Fred and Paul Shirley wrote me a real note. Mm. David Moss is one of my favorite players and David wrote me a note. Nick Jost wrote me some stuff uh, and, and I had a great time. And, and I'm dodging your question a little bit because when I walk around tonight, other than the ushers, there won't be anybody there. Yeah, right. It's an hour and a half before the game and the crowd can't get in for an hour. Mm-hmm. And uh, down on the floor, there's only nine people other than the coaches and that. And it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. The, you, can, you can hear the people talking to the referees. I mean, when they say some really irresponsible things, <laughs> it ratchets throughout the whole building and stuff like that. And you can hear the referees talking to Prohm. I thought Prohm was going to get a technical the other night when the ball was out of bounds and the referee yeah. called it good for a basket and stuff so i i usually walk around and i'll talk to band members i'll talk to some of the ushers i'll i'll talk to coaches and assistants and stuff like that just to get a feeling for the game just kind of rev myself up a little bit i've i've had four heart attacks in my life Mm. so i don't try to rev myself (laughs) a lot but i try to get myself up and, and ready to Really, and you can sense in the crowd, boy, this is going to be a good game tonight, no matter what happens. I mean, we could be 30 points down and play Iowa or Kansas, 
And if we have the right mood and the right thing and things just happen, like a fester going off for 54 points, anything can happen. So I'll walk around and I'll think about what a great time I've had. Uh, I'll think about my wife. She's been with me to every ball game. Uh, I love her dearly, and she's she put up with a lot with me. And my daughter down in Tallahassee, that's where we're moving. They got nice. We got two granddaughters and they're in different schools and they need help with them. Yeah. So we're going to head down there. Did you, uh, in this pandemic year, not being able to, you know, to, to stir up a, a, a full house, um, did you think about maybe coming back one more year so you could have, air, you know, an air quote normal year when you hung it up? You know, a lot of people have asked me about that. And and I'm not, this is something I haven't told a lot of people. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Uh, three weeks in, I got COVID, oh. and our our granddaughters were here, and so I I didn't have them, and I couldn't do anything with them. I didn't have COVID really bad, uh, but at the same time, I had an emergency gallbladder mm. and an operation, but they couldn't operate it on it because I had COVID. And then finally, three weeks in, I got rid of COVID. And my granddaughters wanted to go for a bike ride. And one of my granddaughters stopped her bike suddenly. And I uh, went down and I smashed my helmet. And I suppose I was out for a little bit. I had a hematoma on my right hip that was just monstrous. All the nurses at the emergency room were taking pictures of it. And uh, I had that. And and I've had, I'm a hanger-oner. I don't have it bad. But time and time again, it'll come. And so I'm foggy at times, and I just can't take a chance of doing basketball anymore. I'd love to. I'd love to come back and and do the opening lineups or something next year mm-hmm. or something like that. But I just can't do that to to my wife. Uh, I can't do that to my brain anymore. I'm I'm doing okay. I'm fine. I'm reading books. Uh, I can. I've, the last three weeks, it was hard doing the team this year because we had eight new players. And you're, yeah. you're you know how you've done it. You're trying to remember their face and their number and things like that. And with eight brand new ones, it's hard to do. Um, but, but I'm doing okay, but I'm, I'm having some fog problems. Uh, Gary way, Gary, last thing for you. Um, and I and I to, I fully believe this. And I don't know what Hilton Magic is. I don't. But I know whatever it is, you are part of it. You stirring up the crowd and enunciating after a big three or a big dunk. Uh, you enhance the experience, and and that to me uh, is part of Hilton Magic. Would you agree with that? I agree completely. Because like like Fred Hoiberg said, Johnny and I really took off on Hilton Coliseum and Hilton Magic, and I, and I think it was a major part of it. I want to say one more thing. I really enjoyed working with you at Prairie Meadows yeah, over me the year. You're, you're an honest person, and you do things right, and that means a lot in our world. So thank you for giving me a call. Let me talk a little bit. Ken. Gary, congratulations on the remarkable run. Uh, just amazing, amazing stuff. Uh, best to your health. Best to your wife. Enjoy your retirement and those grandkids. Uh, you've earned it, Gary Wade. Have fun tonight. Thanks, Ken. Good to talk to you. Gary Wade. The voice of Hilton Coliseum. Good piece. Good man, Gary Waite. Good man. Uh, we'll take a timeout. Uh, from the Big 12 to the Valley, Adam Emenecker joins me next, previewing the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. And- Consumers. 
Welcome back, Miller and Condon, and Condon is here. Hello. Good to talk to you. We'll get uh, catch up here in a bit. Let's get Adam Emenecker in here. He's been very patient, running a little bit late. Of course, Adam will be in St. Louis, uh, and he joins us. Adam, Trent, and Ken, thank you for coming on. How are you, Adam Emenecker? I'm doing well. Good to talk to you guys again. How are you two? Doing well. So uh, we're on the cusp of the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. Thursday night it begins. Let's go back to the weekend, though, Adam. And, you know, when I watched the uh, the Bradley game Friday night, uh, they, they picked them off, got them by, I think, nine or whatever it was. It just looked as though they're running out of gas. And, and in the Bradley game, you could kind of see it a little bit. And I think it really... Um, I, I think that we saw that on Saturday, or am I not being fair to Bradley? No, I, I mean, I think it's a combination of both, right, Ken? I mean, I think that the Drake team definitely started to run out of gas, and that's what happens when you lose two guys and probably your two best players in the backcourt. So you look at what Coach Darren DeVries was asking those guys to do. He was asking Joe Yesifu, he was asking Garrett Sturtz, Tramel Murphy, pretty much, and DJ Wilkins, pretty much to play 40 minutes. Yeah. And, and so... As a player, you can do that one game. You can do that two games, but especially in the back-to-back, that that's really, really tough. And I think, you know, it's, it's hard to keep your energy level up for that amount of time. And uh, I, I think that's a big part of what we saw. Now, credit Bradley, right? Bradley has to play well enough to win that game. But I think Drake started to wear down throughout the course of the season. They had a stretch where they had to play 11 games in 26 days and then five games in their last 11 days. And that, that wears heavy on your legs. We know about the physical component and playing that sheer volume. How about the mental component where you lose a couple of your starters? You know, for all intents and purposes, you may have to be perfect all the way to the state, to the uh, tournament game against Loyola in the championship of the MVC tournament. The mental taxation, something you dealt with during that run during 2007, 2008. Yeah, I mean, it's, that, that's a great point, Trent. And I think, you know, the, it, it's underrated how difficult it is to be at your peak every single day and to have to come in with an edge that you're going to take the best shot from your opponent and you have to be ready to uh, perform. And it's easy sometimes to relax. And, you know, I I think one of the things that, that we saw from this group is they definitely have that edge. They definitely have the ability to rise to the occasion as needed. They definitely, this Drake group has that competitive nature, which is great to see. But I think over and over, it does start to catch up to you and listen, when you lose your two leading scorers and probably your two best players in the backcourt, not only does it shorten your rotation, puts more pressure on guys who aren't in, tip, aren't in their typical roles or the roles they've played all year, which creates opportunity, but it also reduces your margin for error. And I think that's a little bit of what we saw in that Bradley game. All the guys honestly played pretty well, but it just is possession after possession after possession. You just can't have any lapses. And your margin for error is so small that, you know, it just increases the likelihood of a loss. And, and unfortunately, the last game of the regular season, that's what we saw. What has uh, been the difference in Yosofo's game? Um, it seems like, boy, maybe the mid, middle of March or March, February, rather, it, the light seemed to go on for him. Is, is it a confidence thing? What, what's been the difference in his game? Is it minutes that he's getting? Um, what, 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 how would you answer that? Well, I think the short answer is yes. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, I, I think with with Joe Yesifu, so a couple, some of it boils down to at least if you look over the last five or six games, it really is opportunity, and the opportunity is partially because with no Roman Penn, he's got to have the ball in his hands a lot. So, but if if we rewind Ken before that, I think part of it is 
as as Coach Darren DeVries looked at his team this year, Roman Penn's a guy who has the ball in his hands a lot. And there are complementary pieces around him when you look at Shanquan Tank Hemphill, you look at Tramel Murphy, Garrett Sturtz, even DJ Wilkins. Those are guys that need shots created for them. They're not necessarily isolation players that you can give the ball and go make a play. And that's what Joe Yesifu represents. And so from his growth from his freshman year to his sophomore year, just in terms of decision-making, knowing when to attack, and not just being a guy that's in one mode all the time, which is I get the ball, I'm going to score, but knowing how to facilitate a little bit better and picking and choosing his spots. I think the maturity of picking and choosing his spots is part of what's led to the success and the need to have him on the floor to be that secondary creator and the secondary scorer. And gosh, with Roman Penn out and with him playing 40 minutes a game, I mean, at UNI, 20 points against Evansville, 32 and 36, 16 in the first game against Bradley, 21 in the second. So he's been unconscious and deserving of the sixth man of the year that he was just announced for the league. Oh, was he? Uh, Good. Probably an hour or two ago, yeah. How does Garrett Sturts do it? Guy is certainly not the most athletic guy out there. He's not the most physical guy. Is it just as simple as that? He's just smarter basketball IQ than everybody else? Yeah, I mean, so much of it comes back to comfort and timing. And and I think what can be a difficult transition for really good high school players moving into the college game is, yes, the length, the physicality, the speed. I think those are the easy things for people to see. But it's also really understanding how to shift and change your role to be successful with other really, really good guys. And I think where Garrett Sturtz has transitioned over the last three years so effectively is by doing all the little things. He reads the ball off the rim and knowing what spots to get to as well as anybody that I've seen in the conference. He just has a knack for when the ball leaves the shooter's hands, knowing if it's going to be short, knowing if it's going to be long, and positioning himself appropriately. I think he has a pretty tireless motor that he really knows when to exert himself, when to push forward. And if you watch him during games, he knows exactly what's happening for whether he's on defense with the offense or whether he's on offense with defenders. Anytime his primary defender turns their head, he always cuts back door. And so he reads the play about a split second faster than everybody else. And despite not maybe having some of the physical advantages, that that mental aptitude and just being a student of the game allows him to be successful, candidly, in some places where maybe you would say he shouldn't be. Hmm. Uh, Adam, I want to go back uh, and uh, just from your your recollection of what it was like as the one seed going into this tournament, where Loyola is this year, they'll play the early game on Friday. When, when you think back to that, to your first game in, in the tournament, is there pressure in, in, in game one that maybe you wouldn't anticipate being there, knowing that you know, you're playing the winner of uh, the 8-9 game who played just, what, 12 hours or whatever it is ago? Uh, but is there pressure as the one seed? Was there pressure? for you guys and do you think Loyola will maybe carry that over at least for a little while until uh, they um, you know get things rolling on Friday yeah I mean I think some of the pressure Ken comes in with are you are you really thinking about and feeling yourself at the time like are you really thinking we're the one seed we're invincible or are you there to have the mentality that we're here to get work done and I so I think you look at that eight nine game right Bradley and Southern Illinois both of those teams had the opportunity to play Loyola pretty tough. Southern took them down kind of to the wire uh, recently. And Bradley, depending on whether they get their three starters back, in particular Elijah Childs and Terry Nolan Jr., they're an entirely different team than they've been the last month, month and a half or so. And so I, I think the advantage sometimes you see early, the team that plays on Thursday night 
comes out and gets a spurt against the one or two seeds because they're a little fresher. They played the night before, so they kind of have that edge and a little bit of an excitement. I think if you're the one seed, you want to come in, not disrespect your opponent, make sure that the preparation is strong and that the team's mentality is this this is going to be a dogfight, and knowing that three games in three days, you can't look forward to that Saturday contest. you got to get through the Friday one first. I think that's where a lot of the pressure comes is just making sure you're sharp and making sure you're coming in with the right mentality, not overlooking a team just because they're sitting in that 8-9 to nine game. Well, we remember what happened last year in the quarterfinals as Drake upset you and I. Mm-hmm. Now the Panthers get a chance to do that. They have to get past Illinois State first. You can be honest here. You'd rather see the Redbirds as opposed <laughs> to the Panthers, right? Well, I, I mean, I think, honestly, if, if Drake could draw up who they were going to play, they would rather play that 7-10 matchup, whoever it is, you and I or Illinois State, versus playing a Bradley team that just beat him a few days ago. And I think the other person that neither Drake or Loyola wanted to see was Valparaiso. Valparaiso's shown a propensity to play both of those teams pretty tough. And so uh turns out this Ben Jacobson guy at UNI, he's been there a few years. <laughs> yeah. He's a pretty good coach, 300, 300 wins. You know, maybe he's got a few things going for him. But, you know, I, I think that what sweet revenge that would be for the Panthers. But I, I think Drake also feels good about the game plan they've had and the matchups they've had against the Panthers the last two times out. I think they've won by 10 or more and been in pretty convincing fashion. So it, it's definitely, it, it won't be an easy game. But, you know, the other thing, after losing the Bradley game, this great team, they have to win every opportunity they get, right? So they should, they finally got a little bit of rest. They have a few days from Saturday playing to Friday, so almost a week to rest and prepare and get their legs back underneath them. I look for Drake to come out, whoever they play, whether it's Northern Iowa or Illinois State, and really be uh, ready to go from the start. Even though they're going to still be short-staffed, they're going to have a smaller roster than they normally play with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I look for them to come in focused and, and really uh, do whatever they can to win that one. I'm more worried about what happens Saturday and Sunday, to be honest. Yeah, it's going to be a fun weekend. What, what, uh, what, Hemphill, we've seen some video that the, uh, uh, that's been tweeted out from the uh, Drake Men's Basketball uh, Twitter account. He's rehabbing. Uh, any chance that he plays in St. Louis? Yeah, I, I think there's a small chance. And, you know, the hard thing is, uh, if you ever ask the kid, the kid's going to want to play sure. any, any chance he can, yep. right? Yep. It, you want to get on the floor and, you know, in a normal year, this would be a senior season and he might not be coming back next year. I think where this year, just with COVID and the extra year of eligibility, all signs are that uh, Tank Hemphill will be back next year in a Drake uniform as well. So I, my guess is uh, the doctors are, are going to make the ultimate and trainers are going to make the ultimate decision. I think Darren DeVries is going to proceed with caution. But, uh, man, if, if you can get a guy like Tank Hemphill with his athleticism, his scoring prowess, and just the junkyard dog mentality – if he can play, you want him in the lineup for sure. Adam, Adam Emenecker. Adam, uh, enjoy St. Louis. Uh, we can't wait to watch it, and appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your insight on the Missouri Valley Conference. Thanks, Adam Emenecker. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Good, Good to talk one. to you. Adam Emenecker, uh, former Drake Bulldog and Larry Bird Trophy winner. Uh, see, Bone Bourne was the freshman of the year in the mm-hmm. conference. That was just announced, so uh, good stuff. All right, will Drake find a place in the big dance? Well, we've got a bracketologist. Shelby Mast uh, joins us next. Miller and Condon are with you until noon. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 104.
Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM, this is KXNO. All right, 10 minutes before the hour of 11, Tuesday with Miller and Condon. That means it's our time for our friend Shelby Masts. He's Gannett's Bracketologist, BracketWag.com, BracketWag.com. Shelby updates the bracket each and every morning. So when you get up, you start the coffee pot, grab your iPad, and make Shelby's uh, site to one of your stops, BracketWag.com. Shelby Trenton, Ken, as always, we certainly appreciate uh, you uh, spending some time with us here today. So let's get into what promises to be Shelby. We'll get to Drake in a second, but boy, tonight's slate of games. Maybe the two best teams in the Big Ten. Maybe the two best teams in the Big 12. Certainly bracket-wise, that would uh, uh, that would play out. Uh, but does Baylor, West Virginia, or Illinois, Michigan mean anything pursuant to seeding? Let's say West Virginia um, does win, and then Illinois is able to pick off Michigan. What would that do if those two upsets take place? Not really much of nothing. Baylor will be a one seed after this game, regardless of win or lose. West Virginia probably will be a two seed. They could fall to a three with a blowout loss at home. Uh, in the other game, the winner's going to stay a one seed. The loser will lot more than likely stay a one seed. So I, I don't think it has a lot of impact for tonight. Now, as far as next week, it, this could be a game that decides a tiebreaker or something, but uh, not right now. Show me with that uh, to Baylor. We see them take their first loss on Saturday night against Kansas. Let's say down the stretch here, they got West Virginia, as Ken mentioned tonight, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech to finish up two teams, playing some good basketball. Let's say they lose two of these final three games and then lose in the semifinals of the conference tournament. That would give them, what, three, four losses over their final six games does that drop them out of a number one seed? Obviously not knowing what else has happened across the country, but how precarious do you think their position is as this team's coming back from that COVID pause? In that scenario, they very well might fall to a two seed. None of the losses would be bad, but still they're piling up. Mm-hmm. And they haven't looked good come back from this most recent layoff. You know, they beat Iowa State barely last yeah. week, mm-hmm. and then they lose to Kansas. Not a bad loss, but still a loss. And but if you lose, you know, end up with four losses, and you haven't played as many games, depending on others, I think that could knock them to a two seed. Uh, we're speaking with Shelby Mass Bracket dot com. Uh, let's uh, go to Drake as we saw. I mean, we're I don't know, amateur bracketologists, Trent and I. We we like to speculate a little bit. Uh, but Drake, you still have them in as an eleven seed. Trent and I both feel that at minimum, uh, Drake has to get until the final of the Missouri Valley Conference tournament. They go in as a two seed. They play uh, the winner of a of a, of a playing game, if you want to call it that. Um, do they have to get to Sunday to ensure their place? Or is that maybe not even good enough? How uh, precarious is Drake's spot right now, Shelby? Well, again, it all depends on what other teams do. But I think they're in a very precarious situation because they have one win over quad one, which is Loyola Chicago. 
and they lost to them as well. I think they have to get to the finals, and then if they aren't going to win it, they have to lose to Loyola Chicago. Uh, their non-conference uh, strength of schedule is 307 out of 353, uh, actually less than that because uh, Ivy League didn't play this year. So 307 out of 347, and the regular strength of schedule, including conferences, 263. The NCAA, the committee, is known to penalize teams that have those kind of numbers. Will they do it with Drake? I hope not. I hope this is the, their record is good enough to get them in, especially in this COVID year. But stranger things have happened. So speaking of that, we were uh, joking, Shelby, before we came on, you're a Duke fan. Duke Drake in the uh, opening round wow. to see that in a first four matchup. But that goes to Duke. They have to at very least win one of these next two, maybe the next two starting tonight with Georgia Tech on the road and then Carolina over the weekend. But these marquee bubble teams, Duke, Michigan State, the money involved in this and the NCAA trying to recoup. I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat here, but I believe there's going to be maybe a little bit more credence to see in one of those teams, especially as you kick off the tournament and you got a marquee program in one of those two games, I think it makes a lot of sense. I do, too, but I, they're not supposed to do that. They're not supposed to. Not supposed to. You know, no, Duke and Michigan State can't play because they have played this year already. And they'd have to be, the, the rule would have to be broken, and there would have to be no other possibility of a matchup that makes sense or that, makes, that, that satisfies the rule. So if that were to happen, that they've broken everything. But it would make for great TV. Yes, a play-in game with Duke and Michigan State. But I, I was—I had Duke Maryland not too long ago. But Maryland seems to have moved up, and Duke has gone the other way. There, there's got to be. There will be some kind of marquee matchup. I do believe. Uh, in this year of COVID, when you, you know, who knows what's going to happen, you know, the final or the, the first four out is no longer that. They're the standby team yeah. in case others can't play. So th- there's going to be some weird stuff happening. I just don't know what yet. I, I just wonder if the coaches are going to get the bonus if they make that standby status. Oh, right. <laughs> Will they be looking right, at that, their... That is certain, yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Some lawyer is going to be working yeah, on that some one. Some lawyer is. <laughs> uh, so let's get to Iowa, Shelby. Right now they're a two-seed. They have Nebraska, who stunned Rutgers last night. And you have Rutgers in as a 10-seed here this morning. And then Iowa finishes with Wisconsin. Um, they win those two games and they get to Indianapolis for the Big Ten tournament with a double bye. It seems pretty unlikely, if that plays out like that, that they would fall uh, off the two line. Uh, or is my amateur bracketologist status showing? I, I think if, in that scenario, they'd probably be there. But you look at the three line, Houston is the top three, uh, and then Kansas, Villanova, Florida State. So you got to look in any of those three that they had done enough to move up. Houston, I think, would have to win their conference tournament. Uh, I think Kansas is the one you got to watch. Okay, Kansas, could, if they won the Big Twelve, then they're definitely deserving of a two. Uh, but Iowa, I'm, I'm convinced they're going to be at least a two. They've got an outside shot at a one. 
a few weeks ago I said no way, but now I'm thinking, you know, mm. this has happened they, where they could, but it's going to be tough. But be expected to see. Expected to see. A number one would take Iowa winning the last two regular season games in the Big Ten tournament. Is that fair? Yeah, but then they've already made up their mind, though, haven't they? Because Selection Sunday's within an hour. Yeah, that's that's true. But they have contingency brackets. If, if okay. Team A wins, they go with this one. Team B, they go with this one. So it, it, they very well could. We shall see. Shelby Mass, bracketwag.com. He updates it every single morning. If you're a fan of the brackets, if you're a fan of basketball in March, bracketwag.com. Shelby, we'll talk to you in a week's time. Thank you, Shelby Mast. Thank you as always. Good to talk to you, Shelby Mast. Bracketwag.com, Gannett's Bracketologist, and Miller and Condens. Love to have him on. Yes, I do too. Uh, we will come back guy we haven't had on for a while. Mark Morehouse back in the game and then Zubin Mahente Hour 2 next. Miller and Condon 1460 KXNO 106.3 FM.